Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. And I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 27, which starts with Gandalf finishing the line he just barely started in the last minute, which is, I suppose you think that was terribly clever. And ends with Bilbo handling the ring, saying, after all, why not? It's very Talking ominous. about keeping the ring. It's very ominous. It is very ominous. This, this is a this is a scene that is just all dialogue this minute. There's nothing else really going on here. I would argue that there's some acting. It's not just di- it's not just two people like well, in a room right. just talking. But there's not like it, there's not like action. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's two people in the midst of a conversation. Because I would argue that there's a lot going on in this one. A lot of subtle things. Yeah, I'm into that though. That's my jam. Into the subtlety. It's kind of amazing that they filmed both of these actors separately. Yes. They do such a good job of maintaining eye lines. Yeah. And that's to do with the, the same motion control camera yeah. stuff they've had before. Um, just lining up eye lines. And I think for the most part, they do a good job. It's pretty seamless. Yeah. And the, the pre-programmed camera that follows the same track. Right. Through both of their filming sequences. Because the camera's never really totally steady. No. In these scenes. And it can't be because you're because working it, with two different... Two different scales. Two different scales, two different scenes that you're meshing into one. And if you leave the camera steady too long, it lets that come into focus, that things aren't 100%. Right. Because if you're just staring... Plus, it's not interesting. Right. Uh, but the, if you keep the camera moving, that keeps your eyes uh, constant, you know, moving instead of just staring at one spot. So there's yeah. less of a chance for you to see any imperfections. This is another small moment in the commentary where Orlando Bloom touches about Howard Shore as well. Oh, my God. He's such a fanboy. He is. It's true. He's talking about how the, the very the very subtle music from the speech all the way through here. Mm. Uh, he just loves Howard Shore. Yeah, same. The same way that Frodo loves maps. <laughs> Elisha Wood just loves maps. We see uh, the the two portraits that you were talking about, I think, a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, uh, and they the are... Bag-end portraits. Yeah, and they're supposed to be Bilbo's parents, but yep. they are stylized portraits of Peter and Fran. Yeah, I hope they have those in their house somewhere. That'd be really cute. That'd be adorable. I mean, he did take back end, so he probably took those too. That's true. Why wouldn't you? If I commissioned stylized Hobbit portraits, I mean, if we literally did that like two months ago before our artwork. But... Right, right, right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Close. Oh my God. Close. I, I think it's cool that in this scene, we are not focused on Gandalf so much as we are on Bilbo. Yeah. Like the camera is following Bilbo around. And you just see Gandalf's like hulking frame. He's just like bent over and back end. No, he's not even bent over. He's just kind of like he like sway like sways a little bit, follows Bilbo. You can tell that he's following whatever's happening down there, but you can't see his face. You only yeah. see like his like his, his torso chest. or like his beard. Right. I think it's really his funny. eyes at the very beginning. He's just like it's a good and it's a good reminder of the scale as well. Yeah, because he is bent over just a little. He's like at a forty-five, mm. just kind of looking around in the room. A forty-five. 
I don't know. I just love hanging out in Bag End. Oh, yeah. It's the best. Bag End is the best. That's why Peter Jackson took it home. I want to live there. Yeah. Put it in the hill. Hang out. Your round doors and your round windows. Mm. Peter Jackson likens it to a womb. I think... Was that Peter Jackson or was that one of the other... I think it was Peter. Because everything's round. Because everything's round. There's no straight lines in nature. It makes you feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. Apparently this uh, this exchange of dialogue took an entire day to shoot. I believe it because you're filming multiple you takes. You film it all twice. Of each actor. Yes. And as we've already discussed, Ian Holm doesn't do the same take twice. Right. So it's all different all the time. I like the way he delivers the line, it's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit of fun, Gandalf. Like, his, his voice uh, goes up, a, like, half an octave, yeah. and it's it sounds like a little kid is whining at you. Yeah. Um, I like the... Gandalf makes every hobbit feel like a little kid, I think. Yeah. I think Gandalf makes everyone feel like a child, except Aragorn, maybe. Right. Even that. Because Gandalf's, like, what, thousands of years old at right. this point? Gandalf is, uh, I'm not sure exactly how old, mm. because I don't think there's a there's a really good example of how old, like, the uh, the Maiar are compared to the Valor. We don't have a good timeline as far as, like, when each Maiar was created and all that. Yeah. So I don't think we know exactly how old the Astari are, but uh, at least as old as three or four thousand years, I would, I would say. So, the Astari were created after the War of the Ring? No. So, before? Because it's been... They were they were arranged as an order and sent to Middle-earth after the fall of Sauron. Okay. So, he's Gandalf and Saruman and Radagast and the other two, the Blue Wizards, whose names I now can't remember even though I already looked this up and posted on our Facebook group. They all arrived in Middle-earth sometime after the beginning of the Third Age. Okay. I don't remember exactly exactly when. But Sauron is the same... Type of being. Type of being, but he's not the Astari. The, the Astari the is a group of, of Maiar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So if this was, like, the, like, umbrella chart... Right, there are Valar. There are there are Valar and then Maiar and then the Astari is a sub. It's like a, it's just a subgroup of five guys. Okay, they're like a band. <laughs> this summer, five wizards going on the road trip of the century. The road trip of the age. <laughs> the age, the millennia. The millennia. That's right. I would want to, I would watch a, like a... Christopher Lee could have been the lead singer. Right? He was in a metal band. He made metal albums. Saruman, the metal Rest colored. Right? Christopher Lee. I don't know. If, there's a whole lot to talk about this one. There's more in the next minute. Yes. Because you get more Bilbo. You get some more Bilbo. I, I like some of the way that... The lines are phrased in this minute. So you you will keep an eye on Frodo. You? Two eyes, as often as, as I, I can spare, spare them. them. It's a good line. The uh, the moment when he first pulls the ring out of his pocket, he's he's almost kind of amazed at himself that he didn't put it on the mantle. Yeah. 
you can tell that it's it's uh, influence is much more than it probably has been in the past. He's got a look on his face like he feels like he's been tricked. Right. Especially because he just tricked his entire right. neighborhood. He just tricked everybody. And now it's just like, oh, E2. Damn. <laughs> E2, strange trinket. <laughs> I also like the way uh, Gandalf admonishes him for using uh, a magical ring. There are many magical rings. Yeah, because he knows what's up. He's aware of all of them. He's carrying one. Can you see... I guess we should... I think they do a very good job of never showing you that ring. Until it's time. Until it's time. So it's almost like a deus ex machina. Deus ex machina. Right. Because it, it, I don't even think it comes in the book until the very end. He mentions it. But right. it's part of the reason he's able to fight the Balrog in the first place. Hmm. I just think it would have been a little... Would have been cool to see Cooler it. to set it up. But we briefly see all of them in the beginning anyway. Yeah. So if you're paying extra close attention, you'd be able to see it, which would kind of spoil it if you didn't know for sure. Right. If you didn't already know. Right. I don't know. I don't think there's any good way to handle that. Right. Because if you if you put it on him and he's wearing it throughout the movie... But, like, you have it wrapped up in, like, his hand wraps. Yeah. Or you get, like, a little subtle look at it, like, here. Like, even if it's just once. Then, for people that are in the know, that's fine. But for people that aren't, it might give away something. Right. That you don't necessarily want to give away. Because my, my writing impulse says to set it up. Right. To show it. Oh, just, you know, a little bit, subtly. But at the same time, it does take away from the mystery right. and the suspense because, I mean, we are months away from covering that scene, but yes. it is very emotional if you, I mean, it's emotional regardless, yeah. but especially if you don't know that he comes back, Right. there's just so much more weight to it. And then there's more like joy when he right. comes back so i don't know i have to think about that yeah it's uh it's very cool i actually i was i was reading the the last section of the silmarillion before we left on our honeymoon mm -hmm. because the the very last section of the silmarillion is just about the war of the ring yeah so uh it, it names a bunch of other things uh like the elven name for mount doom which escapes me at the moment and a bunch of things like that are in there and one of the things it talks about at the tail end of that, that section about the War of the Ring is the three elven rings. Mm. And it kind of contradicts itself. The, the, it kind of contradicts itself near the end because it says that the elves specifically hid their three rings because they were the only three of the rings of power that Sauron didn't have a hand in making. Right. But he can influence them, can't but he? But he can influence them because all rings of power are made in a similar way. Right. So he can still influence them if he's aware of them, if he knows where they are and if they're being used. Okay. Which is why Elrond hides in Rivendell and Galadriel just hides in Lothlorien. Right. And neither of them really use the power of their ring very much. Mm. Because they don't want to draw attention to themselves. Because if they use it too much, then Sauron will find it. Right. And he'll come get it. But, which is why Gandalf tells Frodo later, don't put the ring on. Right. 
Don't even put it on. Yeah. Because if you put on, because you can't control the power of the One Ring. Right. If you put it on, it's active, so Sauron can find you, because he's know he knows what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. So, in the the tail end of the Silmarillion, it talks about how the elves hid the rings, and then it says like you know they knew where they were, they were in safekeeping, and all this. And then a little bit later on in that same section of the the Silmarillion, yeah, it says, but of the third elven ring, there's no uh, there's no real account of like where it was. And then it tells you, and and then it tells you that, Gandalf well, had Gandalf it. had it, but he must he got it from he got it from another elf. He, uh, the Cardan uh, or Cardan, elven pronunciation's hard sometimes. It's the the guy that's in charge of the Grey Havens. As, uh, as soon as Gandalf stepped off the boat into Middle Earth, he gave him the ring. Hmm. Interesting. Because he was supposed to be the guardian of that ring, but he passed it on. He passed it off to Gandalf. <laughs> nope. Here you go. <laughs> I don't want this. I just want to be a ferryman. Right? I'm just here, man. You, this will do more good if it's in the hands of someone out there trying to do good. Yeah, but you're not supposed to use them. Right. So that guy could have just chilled with it the whole time. Right. He didn't want that responsibility, I guess. What responsibility? You just stand there? I mean, it is it is very much like the kind of decision that you feel like a writer made just so that one of those rings could like be a part of the story. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? But it is cool. It sets up a lot and it... it it accounts for a lot of things that don't make as much sense until you know that Gandalf has that ring. Yeah. And he's had it the whole time. He even had it during The Hobbit. Hmm. And it, there's a lot of implications of the idea of, like, Gandalf has the fire ring. Right, because he can fight the Balrog. He can it. fight the Balrogs. He won't be as burned. But is it like... It has control over fire. Okay. So it's not like rock, paper, scissors where right. fire beats water. It's not like Pokemon typing. Right. It's uh, like controls like. Right. Which is why the, the whole Elrond can control the rivers around Rivendell. Right. Because he has the water Because ring. he lives in Rivendell. Yeah. <laughs> and Galadriel has air? Yeah. Okay. Is it air or light? I think it's supposed to be air. Okay. So there's no Earth Ring? That bothers me. It's not Captain Planet. No, I mean like the four <laughs> archetypal elements, like right. air, earth, water, and fire. Right. There's no balance for the air ring, and that bothers me. From a... There's only three, it's fine. <sighs> I know it's supposed to be rule of three, but if you're going to use like the archetypal elements, you might as well just, you know... Right. If you're going to airbend... You gotta get an earth band. You gotta have an earth bender. I don't know if it's quite bending. There's no balance. You have to bring balance. Balance to the force. Who would be the avatar in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Frodo, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess so. Huh. One of these days, I'm gonna do, like, what, you know those, like, what type of bender would you be? Quizzes? Yeah. I'm gonna assign each member of the fellowship a type of bending. Oh, that's easy. That's so easy. All right, all right, all right. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Yes. Yeah. Since we don't have all that else so, to talk about here. Boromir is fire. Boromir would definitely be a firebender. I mean, I guess. 
Yeah. He's very easily, he's a very emotional man. Yeah. Very, very, very He's like the driven. Prince Zuko of the... <laughs> honor the fellowship dude like he's very emotional the hobbits are like all airbenders no sam is an earthbender sam is an earthbender yes he's very very solid sam is an earthbender he gardens dude that's true frodo would be an airbender so mary and pippin mary and pippin i'll think i'm thinking about them I want to say they are also Earthbenders. No. Because they're not... They're not just, like, stubborn walls. I think they are in their own way. They're very playful and mischievous, which is very much a, a, a thing among Airbenders. Yeah. They don't have the discipline, though. And then Legolas would be a Waterbender. Yeah. Yes. Just like me. Aragorn is harder... Aragorn is harder. Gandalf is... Well, I, if he has I, the fire... I guess fire he's a firebender. <laughs> what a, Gimli's an earthbender. Uh, Does that make Gandalf um, uh, Iroh? Absolutely. <laughs> instead of instead of tea, it's like hobbit weed. Yeah. Smoke this, calm down. <laughs> Chill. Gimli is absolutely an earthbender. Well, yeah, he's a dwarf. Yes. Aragorn's hard. Aragorn is harder. Which element would Aragorn bend? <laughs> right? Listeners? <laughs> Aragorn is the avatar because he's the king. I don't think so. I think Aragorn is like the the very stoic Sokka. Like, he doesn't bend. He's just a badass. He's just there. <laughs> he's just best at everything. Yeah. I don't know about Merry and Pippin. It's hard. That one's hard. That's hard. Everyone else is pretty self-explanatory, though. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> now that we're now that we're very far, very far away from Lord of the Rings. Where would you put the uh, the members of the Fellowship? Right. On Tell the, us uh, on the the Avatar spectrum. Spectrum. <laughs> okay. So. You can find us on duelinggenre.com. <laughs> you can email us, contact at lordoftheringsminute.com. We're on Twitter at L-O-T-R Minute. Tumblr, lotrminute.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have both a regular podcast group and a listener group called Fellowship of the Mic. If you want to join it, we'll add you because most of you people are so cool. Most of them. They're all cool. Like, who's the one uncool person? You? It's not about the one uncool person. It's about most of these people are cool because they're already in the group. Missed my you want to be cool? You want to be cool? Be in the group. <laughs> okay. The Doctor's Companion is a, another podcast on dueling genre, hosted by Cassandra Scott, who was a guest last week, and Nick, who will be a guest soon. Next week. Next week. Uh, they also all write for Geek by Night. You can support us on Patreon at duelinggenre.com/support. We also have a one-time donation button. And merchandise for our other podcasts, and this one coming soon. Indeed. And as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>